0: My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. Hi, everybody. It's Linda Laurel, and this is Our Voices Matter. It's good to be with you again. It has been a while since we've offered you a new episode, and the world has changed quite significantly in the last couple of months. I've been thinking long and hard about how to have a constructive conversation about the Israel-Hamas war. I learned of an organization called Givat Haviva in Israel, where Jewish and Arab Israelis work together toward a shared society. The organization's vision is anchored in the principles of mutual respect, trust, pluralism, and intrinsic equality between citizens, with a focus on education, language instruction, culture, and art. For the last 74 years, Givat Haviva has conducted its work on the ground in Israel, promoting educational programs and encounters and expanding public dialogue between Jews and Arabs, one person at a time. That work became immensely more challenging and more important on October 7th. The two leaders of Givat Haviva have their hands full on both a professional and personal basis as they navigate the ever-changing dynamics of war, unfolding moment by moment, even as you will see during this episode. My hope is that this conversation will provide you with thoughtful perspective and a glimmer of hope. Here now, my conversation with Mikhail Sela, and Mohammed Daraushi. Michal and Mohammed, thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories with the Our Voices Matter podcast audience. Um, you are joining us from Tel Aviv and I so appreciate you taking the time given all that you are dealing with right now with the war. Um, Mikhail, as the um, as the leader of the organization uh, Givar Haviva, would you please give our, our audience a little bit of an understanding about what you do and why what you do is so incredibly important at this moment in town, in time?
1: Sure. First of all, hi Linda and thank you so much for inviting us today. Um, so Givat Chaviva is uh, the largest shared society organization in Israel. When we say shared society, we mean a Jewish and Arab shared society within Israel. So um, everybody knows that there are Palestinians living uh, in, in the occupied territories and in Gaza, um, and but also there's Palestinians or Arab citizens of Israel living in Israel. And since 48, there were uh, citizens of Israel until, until today. So it's 20% of the population. Every fifth Israeli is an Arab or a Palestinian citizen. Um, and in Israel, I think it's the, um, it's the, the, our largest uh, cha- um, challenge as a society, right? Uh, because it is a Jewish and democratic state. Um, but from the beginning, it was obvious that uh, the, democ- the democratic side is supposed to include, of course, everyone. Uh, however, it's not always the case. So uh, we know that the Arab society is suffering from inequality, and also there are there are problems in the relationships between Jews and Arabs within Israel. That's what we do. We think that in order for Israel to be a um, a prosperous democracy, uh, we need to work on these on these relationships. We're doing it. We're doing it through education, culture, and language for the last uh, seventy four years.
0: And, Mohammed, you are the director of the center, so tell us what, what your role is as the, as the director.
2: Actually, I'm a director of strategy at Givat Haviva, which uh, basically is trying to work with Michal on designing what, what are, you know, how to keep ourselves fit for the mission. Uh, at the end of the day, we are running after a changing target. A moving target. Uh, the field of Jewish Arab relations is affected uh, by the Middle East uh, uh, tension, by the situation that uh, is happening around us, the ecosystem that we live in. Uh, and in addition, uh, the reality on the ground between Jewish and Arab citizens sometimes uh, goes through uh, tense periods and we need to pretty much uh, invent the wheel sometimes every, every year or sometimes every month. Uh, And my my role is basically to look at the programs and see how suitable they are to reality in order to be not just doing good work, but doing effective work. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm I'm partnering with uh, Michal and uh, the rest of the team. And Michal is the CEO, uh, is leading the the whole operation. And my role is to be the second brain next to her.
0: (laughs) Okay. So tell me... uh an example of some success stories, a success story that um, that you feel strongly exemplifies the work of Givat Haviva pre the current war. So in previous years, what was the progress that you were making? How was this shared society able to make a tangible difference in, in the lives of, of Jews and Arabs in, in Israel. Mohammed, can you answer that for me? Can you start off?
2: Yes. I mean, one of the most tangible programs is the actual results of Jewish and Arab youth that come to give out Haviva. We bring few thousand kids every year to our campus. In more than 93% of the cases, this, this is the first encounter those kids have ever had with the other. Uh, They come with a very high level of stereotypes and sometimes even racist views against each other. And racism rate among uh, the uh, general society within the Jewish and Arab community could reach 60-65%. While uh, our intervention, uh, once the kids spend about uh, three days at Givat Out and sometimes even less, uh, we're able to reduce racism rate to even lower than 20%. Uh, which tells you that uh, engaging in peace education can get you the results. We know, though, that uh, our intervention sometimes has uh, uh, problems uh, because uh, kids go home and uh, the returning home syndrome kicks in. Uh, Their surrounding environment tries to pull them back. So we re-intervene by identifying the the proper people around them and their surrounding, and this is mostly their teachers. And now we're focusing more on teacher training so that the teachers can be part of the ecosystem. And this led us also to uh, start engaging in uh, cross-sector teachers, placing Arab teachers in Jewish schools and Jewish teachers in Arab schools so that we don't only wait for the kids to come to us. Uh, We've seen few uh, successes in this area. Uh, Another area that we've been engaged in is to uh, encourage Israeli universities to take more Arab students to study in Israeli universities. When we started uh, consulting with the uh, universities in 2003 on this topic, the percentage of Arab students was only three and a half percent. Today, it's almost 20 percent of the student population.
0: Mm. So if I understand correctly, you have a multi-pronged approach, your, your program. So you sometimes bring students to campus, but then you're also doing outreach to other organizations and universities. Is that correct? Am I am I correct in saying correct. it that way?
2: Correct. I mean, we're not just in, in, we're not just waiting for people to come to us. Uh, we also uh, go outwards and uh, try to reach the schools and try to affect the school environment and the community environment, and not just uh, wait for people that maybe their teachers or uh, they themselves. I like the, the the like the work. We don't want to just target the peace community. We want to target the general community, and uh, that would be better success if we are able to target people with different perspectives from the starting point.
0: And when students come to the campus to immerse themselves in your program, typically, how long are they there?
1: So it depends. We, we have, have different uh, programs. A um, we have uh, go ahead, go ahead.
0: Uh,
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so we have short programs of of around like uh, um, five different five sessions, and the session in Givat Haviva will take like two days or three days. But we also have very long programs of almost two years, when two classrooms, one from a Jewish school and one from an Arab school, will work together, and their teachers also will work together for two whole years this program for instance is almost 30 years old so we now have principals of schools that used to attend that program and inviting us to their school because for the school they're they're, they're managing right uh, because they, it was so it was such a profound experience for them as students
0: so over these many years 74 years since the beginning of givat Haviva, you've made significant progress and now we are in the middle of the Israel Hamas war. Um, Mikhail, I'm going to ask you this question first and then Mohammed, I'd like for you to chime in. How, how have things changed in terms of the dynamic of the two of you working together and doing your work and ensuring that you're able to continue your mission under these extremely difficult, challenging, horrific circumstances across the board?
1: Um, okay, so it affected every inch of our work and also that or our ability to work together, right? So first of all, um, our work in the field. Um, I think that, first of all, October 7th was a shock for everyone, for all Israelis, Jews and Arabs. Uh, in addition, I think it's important to remember that Jews and Arabs were murdered there. And not only Jews, but Israelis were mur- murdered there. Um, and uh, right after the, the first shock, uh, we've ma- witnessed two things. One, the level of anxiety in the two societies, on the Jewish side, of course, but also on the Arab side, got really, 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 really high. The tension got really, really high. What we also saw, and it was, I, w- I wouldn't say surprising, but still very alarming is that we started to experience pressure from top down right from um, from the coalition, from the government and we started to, to to see that in a way there are people in the coalition trying to um, to uh, cause violence, right starting to poke the our population again and again, uh, starting to arm the Jewish population, the civil Jewish population which is something that is not common. In Israel it's something new um, and we started to understand that we we can't work with youth right now because all of the schools were closed right they, they only opened like three weeks ago so everything was closed everything was shut down everyone were in shock, super afraid and the tension was like at the highest level that I can remember and we understood that we need to work with regional and local leaders so they can know each other. So Jewish and Arab local leaders uh, from like near commun- like communities that live near each other. And we understood that we need to work with them and we need to make them, first of all, know each other, have the same you know target to prevent violence, to take the flame down, right? The flames down um, and to do whatever they can to calm their people. So that's what we did in the first week. We just brought uh, regional leaders to give a prayer for sessions, to get to know each other, to start WhatsApp groups and and, and all kinds of different ways of communication. And it, it worked. In addition, what we did is we have a lot of, of, of connections with different uh, national leaders in the Arab community and the Jewish community. And we started to talk to them and say, like, you have to say something, you have to calm down the people, um, and you have to um, understand that Now we're also fighting for our lives within Israel, because if violence will occur now in Israel, first of all, it will be very, very hard to handle, and second of all, how will we ever be safe here if this will, if what Hamas did will 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 tear apart everything we achieved in the last in the last uh, let's say two decades in the sense of relationships between Jews and Arabs within Israel.
0: Mohamed, from your perspective, what, what can you add to, to what Mikhail just said?
2: Well, I mean, I've, I've been in this field for many years, so I always try to uh, analyze and look at, uh, at this whole situation from a historic point of view and as such also try to uh, position ourselves in, in the right uh, engagement uh, way. I mean, we've gone in Jewish our relations, we've gone through three stages and it seems that we need to go into a fourth stage that we haven't even invented yet. We used to uh, get involved in what we called coexistence, which is more of social contact and focusing on the humanity of each other and uh, enjoying each other's just social company. And uh, that was uh, the, the work of Givat Chaviv for many, many years. And then about 23 years later, 23 years ago, we moved into more dialogue to talk about the problems, to allow the elephant in the room and to talk also to dare agree to disagree and and, and focus on the, the issues that also distinct, create some kind of distinction, whether it's an identity or narrative or a, a, a comprehension of a The state around us and uh, the concept of peace, what does peace for for an Arab citizen mean, is not necessarily the same uh, as it is for a Jewish citizen. When we talk about, we use the term shared society today because we think that coexistence is not good enough. We need to incorporate equality into it and the combination of good relations and equality the product ends up being the term shared society. With time, we also started focusing on mutual interests. And uh, today, uh, I'm not sure if uh, these three theories need to be uh, followed on on the same level. Uh, The challenge that uh, is very significant and even very severe, the level of uh, confidence in each other's uh, capacity uh, as a collective, the Jewish citizens and Arab citizens, are very suspicious of each other, uh, are very cautious of each um, other, are very afraid of uh, what would be the next stages in Jewish-Arab relations. Uh, Yes, uh, uh, things are relatively uh, uh, still under control. We are not seeing uh, dramatic uh, uh, confrontations between Jews and Arabs, but there are lots of uh, uh, negative things happening, uh, especially uh, conducted uh, through uh, by the leadership of certain politicians, that might have uh, extreme damaging impact to Jewish Arab relations.
0: How would you say that um, the temperature has changed from the first week after October seventh to now, as we're as we're taping this today, almost almost two months later?
2: I I personally think that things are actually getting a bit worse. Uh, we're accumulating a lot of uh, uh, damage. We're accumulating a lot accumulating. of uh, fear. I think uh, many people in the Arab community feel oppressed. Uh, and in the Israeli Jewish community, I think there's also building uh, fear that is also accumulated. It got triggered on October 7th. And because the war is not over, uh, uh, their their sense of safety and security is not reinstated yet. And to establish uh, relations between citizens, uh, especially that, as I said, we're accumulating incidents that altogether give you a bad feeling. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we are succeeding in not crossing the, the line uh, to move to uh, civilian confrontations. Uh, most of the uh, confrontations are now by certain government agencies versus Arab citizens. Uh, but I, I feel the tension building up, uh, the sense of fear in the Arab community uh, is building up. And the distribution in the last 10 days of uh, tens of thousands of weapons in, arm, in hands of Israeli Jewish civilians is very scary because uh, those guns are targeted potentially against Arab citizens. These are not to join the fight against Hamas or against Hezbollah in, in uh, Lebanon. These are in the hands of fellow Jewish citizens with whom we share the same bus and we share the same workplace and the same shopping mall. And uh, their guns will probably be pointed at me and my kids at one of the days, and that's very scary. And it makes it on the other obviously way,
0: that
2: on, much on the other hand.
1: Linda, I just, I just yeah, want go to ahead. add to that, okay? No, please. On the other hand, I think please. I agree with Muhammad, but I do think that because a month and a half has passed since October 7th, we do see some space in the public discourse on the media to talk about what's happening to the Arab society within Israel. So even the first like two, three, four weeks, like just Nobody talked about it. Like, we knew it's happening because we worked with, in Givat Chaviva and I have, you know, Muhammad and other friends that are telling me what's happening, right? But I couldn't know about it from the, the, the Hebrew-speaking media, right? Now, you do have stories about it and it's part of the discourse. So I agree with Muhammad that the tension is like building. Um, on the other hand... People who, who does care about those issues, and you have people in Israel care, uh, cares about the art society and equality and democracy. We still exist, right? Um, they do know about it and it's part of their everyday lives and part of, of what they're concerned, of, of their, you know, sack, like sack
0: of concerns, right? So that's a good- Take me back, take me back to the immediate aftermath of both of you finding out about the attack on October 7th and the first conversation that the two of you had, what was that conversation? If you wouldn't mind, could you share some of that?
1: Yeah. Um, First of all, October 7th was Saturday um, and it was a Jewish holiday. So we were not at work, I woke up with like I woke up with an alarm, like a missile, missile alarm in Tel Aviv uh, and went ran with my daughters uh, to the to the safe uh, space. And we thought it's just like another round from Gaza. Like we we used to it. Like every few months you get an alarm in Tel Aviv. Um, but then the stories came in and the stories came in not through the media like you're used to it. But through, uh, you know, your friends calling for help. Like I have a lot of friends in the Kibbutzim in the south. Your friends just calling for help on WhatsApp, and it's like you're thinking, okay, the army will be there in like two or three minutes or ten, I don't know. But but it didn't happen, um, and everything everything happened on Twitter and WhatsApp. It was this horrible. You know, live stream of the wor- your worst nightmare. Yes. Um, immediately we started to like chat on our Givat Chaviva team WhatsApp group. Um, and at the beginning, no one understood even what's happening, right? Like we couldn't even imagine it happening. Um, it took us like 24 hours until Sunday morning when we had our first Team talk, like we have it every Sunday morning. Remember that in Israel, Sunday is Monday, right? It's the first day of the week. Um, and on, and I think it was a very hard conversation for us because we still didn't understand exactly what happened. And I think, and and I want to be honest. I think that, of course, all of us were shocked and 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 it, we felt horrible. But it was still hard to talk about, you know. What is Hamas? Like we didn't know all the stories yet. What what Hamas was doing? Is it a regular terror attack? Um, the first thing that everyone said is like how awful everything is. And everyone felt the same about, you know, these kids and, and, and women and men and all these citizens that were butchered. But we didn't know how to approach it from like a Jewish and an Arab point of view. It was very confusing at the beginning. And Muhammad and your and Muhammad's story is even is even more complex than that. Well, I, known, I, that
2: him. Yeah. I went back to Go the ahead, to the chat room. The, I went back to the chat room we had Michal to the seventh, and actually, uh, the first reports we were getting is that there was not just incidents in the south, in the surrounding of Gaza, but there were also incidents. ...of attacks on uh, Arab citizens in uh, some of the mixed cities. Uh, And we were trying to, first of all, verify whether those are real attacks... ...to try to uh, prevent panic and intervene as quickly as possible to try to create calm. That was actually the first message that we were exchanging on the 7th of October. Uh, Parallel to that, I was personally fully consumed in uh, trying to find my cousin... Uh, who was uh, in the party uh, working there as a paramedic uh, and uh, we knew he got shot and later we knew he was killed and that took six days until we got the confirmation of his uh, death so in between uh, in between personal uh, pain and grief and weight and in between looking for Uh, How do we find the right role for the organization and the right intervention? How do we maintain staff together? How do we uh, conduct a discussion among our staff uh, so that we maintain uh, uh, one uh, unified staff, second uh, staff that can look at their mission and and decide what's our role today uh, versus our role yesterday? Uh, and uh, yes, we did have, uh, and I think we still have some differences on how do we analyze uh, uh, not actually what happened because what happened is so obvious. It was uh, so ugly that we uh, don't need to have two opinions, but why it happened, maybe we might uh, differ. Uh, but still, we have a mission, you know, as, a, as the leading organization and the biggest organization in the field. We can't be busy licking our wounds uh, for too long. Uh, We need to be fit uh, to, one, protect what we have and uh, reduce damage. Uh, So working with the teachers and the mayors, as Michal mentioned, uh, that we work in regular time to tell them that we are here, that we are present, uh, to try to uh, talk to our supporters and to talk to our board and uh, so that. No one uh, goes to sleep feeling that the sky has collapsed over our concept of shared society. Uh, We needed to feed the concept by saying it's still valid and uh, despite the crisis, despite the challenge. And I think this this challenge is still in front of us. We need to keep, one, believing in it, and second, uh, giving the rationale uh, behind uh, this belief and communicating this rationale uh, to our surrounding uh, partners on the field and the uh, supporters uh, around the world.
0: I know one of the things that that you're doing um, as you deal with the on the ground situation that is changing minute by minute, but you're also projecting into the future what the needs will be. Um, I had the, the privilege of listening in on a webinar that you did a week or so ago, and one of the things that you talked about was preparing the, um, the military, members of the military who will be coming back to university um, after serving in the war. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you're doing and, and why that is important? Either one we of you, always,
1: whoever. We, I think I, I can start. We we always try to think ahead, where, or oh, what are the places that it's they're going to be the hardest for Jews and Arabs to to live together, to study together, to meet, and where are those places that we need to interfere with? Like we need to help the help those places so we can prevent violence before it it's it's occurring. Um, Actually, few universities also talk to us and few colleges also talk to us because, like Muhammad said, it's one of the success stories that we have, right? That the Arab society in Israel, who suffer from a great deal of inequality, is actually, you know, going to universities, to Israel universities at at the same uh, percentage of their percentage in their, in their population, right? 20%. So that's that's amazing, and it happened in the last ten years, right? Um, but saying that, we also know that because our education system, our high school education system, which is public, is so damaged, if you look at it from our perspective, so people just do not do not do not meet with uh, Arab or Jewish students. The first time, many times, the first time that they meet each other is in, on campus, and many times the universities are not not engaging with that. They're just saying, okay, they're grown ups; it will be okay usually it is okay okay but now we know that the tension is so high and the year is going to start right after the war because it, it was supposed to the the year was supposed to start to start like a month ago right so it's going to start just when the reserved um, um, soldiers will come back home and then they will come post traumatized and with like specific views right now, no matter what their views usually, but specific views or experiences from like, let's say Arab speaking society in, in in Gaza, which has nothing to do, like Hamas fighters, of course, we need to say they have nothing to do with the Arab population within Israel. There is no connection between the two. Okay. Um, and they're going to meet Arab speaking society in the universities. What is going to happen there? And also from the Arab point of view or the Arab society in Israel point of view, they are so stressed, they are so afraid of um, the government, of the state, of the campuses and universities themselves, right? Because they also treated their um, Arab students in in a very hush way in the last few weeks. What's going to happen there? And we know that we need to prepare the ground. We can do it by talking. It's like creating groups and to have like dialogue sessions between Jewish and Arab students. We can do it with the teams. Also, you know, it's also mixed uh, academic teams uh, in our universities. So you can do it there. But also what we started to do is just to prepare the Arab students, just because we can't talk to most of the Jewish students uh, because they're in the army. But we, we started to talk with the new Arab students and to prepare them to the experience of of uh, studying in a Jewish high education institution, oh, I'm sorry, there's a missile alarm. <laughs> um, I'm leaving you with Muhammad and just need to take my kids to the to the safe room. Okay.
0: Don't worry, everything is okay. My goodness, please be safe, Michal. Oh, boy. Well, here we are with the reality, yeah?
2: Indeed, indeed. Unfortunately, <sighs> uh, with Michal, who lives in the middle of Tel Aviv, I live a bit more north, so the sirens are not reaching our uh, town here. We're a bit in a safer zone, but uh, you know, this is this is part. You know, almost half of our team experiences this uh, few times uh, a week, and uh, few many of our team members have lost uh, family members. Uh, one of our students who studies in our international school, uh, an Arab student, that uh, his mother is from uh, Gaza. And uh, he lost twenty-seven family members in Gaza. Uh, so that's that's living in a war zone right now.
0: Oh boy, um, Mohammed, what what do you think that those of us who do not live the existence that you and Michal live and and those that you represent, what does the rest of the world not understand that you think it's important for us to know?
2: Well, I think the most important thing is that the local leadership is not capable of delivering peace. We need peace because October 7th happened because... We did few times U-turn, and uh, U-turn that was led by our leadership here. That seems to be making good careers out of the conflict, and uh, I think that the global community needs to impose a solution, and not wait for a negotiated agreement between Israel and the Palestinians because we're going backwards instead of going forward. Uh, I think that the majority of Israelis and the majority of Palestinians do want peace and are willing to pay the price. Uh, And the price is historic uh, giving up of ultimate dreams. But we need help. And the help is not just by pampering our leaders in order not to get them uh, upset. Our leaders are not capable of delivering peace. That's one. The second is when you talk to the human aspect, you talk to the civilians in in this, uh, you see a great deal of willingness uh, for people to, you know, move on despite the pain that uh, they have incurred and despite uh, even, I would say, mistrust of the other. Uh, And we see that. We see many people coming with very high level of uh, of mistrust, but once you give them two, three days of interaction with the other, they start humanizing the other and stop the dehumanization that that we we build. Uh, in Israel, the Jewish and Arab relations are affected mostly by three things. One is the separate housing reality. ninety two percent of Arab citizens live in separate towns and villages and ninety two percent of the Jewish citizens, Live in their own separate towns and villages, and in the educational system, it's even worse. There are only eight mixed schools. One of them is at Givat Haviva, Out of five thousand schools in Israel, all the rest are uninational and not binational. And uh, and we all, all of this so separate residential reality, separate educational system with the ecosystem of war, that does not produce normal relationship between fellow citizens. You need skills to live in a shared society and the skills is integration. In America, you had the the forced integration of the school system by the busing, which took place in the 60s. I know there's a lot of criticism about the busing, but it did force integration. But that was a top-down effort. We're lacking that top down willingness of the leaders to enforce this kind of situation so we're left organizations like us like givat haviva we're left with the bottom up approach of working with few thousands a year when we should be working with few hundreds of thousands every year
0: you know it the idea when you mentioned bussing and integration here in the united states and, you know, we are experiencing our own divisions right now of epic proportions. Um, and no, it seems that no matter where you look in the world, it all comes down to fear of the other and not understanding and recognizing and knowing who they are because we are so separated. And once we are able to sit down be in an, in an environment where we see that at the end of the day, we're all humans and we all pretty much want the same thing. Um, that's where, that's where the healing starts. And, and, and what you have already shared with us, how after, I think you said after three days or so, you see the difference mm-hmm. in the young people who come to Givat Haviva and immerse themselves in your program. Um, you, you yeah, were going to say kids. something. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, many of these kids, you know, the, the, after two, three days, they don't want to go home. They suddenly discover that what they thought is the, as the scary uh, enemy that they were taught to fear and avoid and uh, stay away from, they can actually share the same dormitory, and they check their body the next morning, and there are no new holes. <laughs> that means that they... Because they were told they will stab you. They will kill you. They will eat from the same plate and uh, it's not poisoned. Uh, And that people do not have the intention of killing you and they do not have the intention of harming you. But uh, you need, you need that opportunity to humanize the other side instead of just living in segregation and living in fear and uh, listening to being fed the stories of uh, animosity and where you fit uh, you fit the, the narrative that you're taught uh, by certain powers that control our life.
0: You and Michal and your colleagues at Givat Haviva have figured out and are navigating how to have the difficult conversations. What can you share with our audience as they go about trying to have these conversations in whatever, whatever sphere, whatever topic it might be, whether whether it's an Arab and a Jew, whether it's you know someone who's black and someone who's white. Oh my good, um, Mikhail is joining us again. I was hoping she would be able to. Yay! Jesus oh my goodness! Hi. Oh hi! No, hi. I do not apologize. Yes, thankfully, Michal is safe. But when she joined us again, her internet connection wasn't strong enough to hold. So I finished the conversation with Mohammed and then reconnected with Michal a few days later. So we'll pick it up here with Mohammed and then wrap it up with Michal.
2: So I think that the first component that needs to be in any discussion, whether it is difficult discussion or non-difficult discussion, is honesty and and sincerity. So so you need to be sincere, you need to be honest and not not come and play a role. Uh, So if I bring in a perspective uh, or a feeling into the discussion, I feel that it's important to bring in the sincere perspective and not just come to represent the Arabs or represent the perspective of, of the Palestinians. Uh, but to represent my own perspective and uh, and, and be honest and uh, sincere about it. The second is willingness to listen and the willingness to uh, engage and uh, and hear what others have to say, because if you only know how to present your perspective and not listen to the, someone else's perspective, it becomes a, a shouting match of the uh, deaf and uh, you need to hear and comprehend and uh, and also be compassionate. And I think the first week we had, uh, we were looking for compassion. You know, I was looking for compassion of my uh, colleagues in with my story and they were demanding my compassion with their story. And uh, if you're not compassionate, really, it's hard to maintain a functioning uh, relationship and a functioning team that can also uh, do work together.
0: So, Muhammad, I was asking, how are you given everything? How are you doing on a personal level?
2: I I think that I heard, uh, I heard someone saying, we're fine, but not okay. Uh, I think that uh, it will take time for things to even start. Uh, healing on a personal level, Uh, overcome the real fear. I am afraid of this government. Uh, This government has extreme racist components that are trying to seize the moment, Uh, making all kinds of arrests against Arab citizens that dare to speak out. And I'm kind of a person that usually speaks out his mind. The size of the democracy shrunk, I think, by 50% at least. Uh, I hear a lot of friends that are getting warnings and threats from government agencies not to write anything on their Facebook that might be a criticism for the government and its actions in Gaza. Uh, and I'm afraid for my children who work in uh, in Jewish spheres in Israeli Jewish towns that uh, one of those people with the, with the guns that they were spread around uh, might, uh, God forbid, uh, pose a threat towards them. Uh, the Israeli Jewish society is. Uh, is filled with uh, feelings of revenge uh, as a response to the October 7th events. And uh, now this revenge is uh, expressed in Gaza by excessive use of force. Uh, And I'm afraid that uh, as soon as that is over, that uh, revenge mindset will continue against Arab citizens. So... For me, it's critical to look for my Jewish counterparts uh, that uh, will stand with us, because if Arab citizens are left alone, we will be sitting ducks in front of the extreme right-wing people in Israel, and who are now armed.
0: And that makes it that much more difficult, but also I would imagine, Encouraging, if I could use that word, for you to continue the work that you do with Givat Hiva, Yabiva, um, it, it must give well, you, sure I you would want... imagine, a sense of purpose and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And... Oh, go ahead.
2: I think it's more an incentive uh, than a, than a purpose or encouragement. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's fear. That's the fear factor that is also driving me and not just uh, the ideology of peace, uh, but real fear that things can uh, get much, much worse. Uh, and uh, I, w- I want to protect myself and my family and my community. Uh, and at the same time, you know, I believe that, uh, Interdependency and cooperation is the fastest and best way to do it because all those that uh, say peace doesn't work and peace education doesn't work. Well, what did work? Did the last confrontation between Israel and Hamas work? Did the last confrontation between Hamas, between Hezbollah and Israel work? Did the last Palestinian intifada work? Did, you know, we've been in cycles of wars every three, four years. We have an eruption. Which one of them actually worked? None of them worked. The only thing that we did not really try on mass scale is proper peace engagement, whether it is top down or bottom up. And uh, so I'm, I'm I, I believe, intellectually that this is the path that we need to go through, but I also feel emotionally that that my my both me feelings of of real capacity to be compassionate to my fellow Jewish citizens and feel that I can be partner with them. But also I have the other feeling, which is fear of their extremes. Because their extremes, we've seen what they've done last year in Palestinian towns like Hawara, uh, where they attack Palestinian and how they last week they are attacking Palestinian farmers that the only thing that they did was to go pick their olive trees and they attack them because they want to steal their uh, olive orchards. And those guys are left without a, a, an alternative, and the alternative has to be peaceful coexistence between Jews and Arabs. If we take coexistence off the table, if we pay, take peace off the table, I'm going to be the in the losing end. We see how Gaza is being demolished, and I don't want my town or more other Palestinian and Arab towns to get demolished. So it's, it's also not just my belief in peace, but it's also my fear of the alternative that is driving me.
0: Okay. So, um, as we, as we, as we wrap this up, um, I I want to try and, and leave our audience with some sense of hope. Um, the whole reason that I, I wanted to have this conversation with you and Michal is because there's so much noise at the, obviously, on, on both sides, and the issue is so difficult for everyone involved. But I take a glimmer of hope in the knowledge that you and Michal and and your colleagues are working together in the midst of this firestorm, in the midst of this war, and are trying to find your way toward um, a humane solution for all involved. So what would be your final words of hope, if you will, as we we wrap up our conversation?
2: Well, peace is doable. And uh, I know maybe that we, maybe we cannot bring the peace as what we call capital P peace, but we can bring pieces of peace. Uh, We can build small islands uh, of uh, peace and cooperation. It's happening, actually, not just in my relationship with Michal and our team at Givat Habiba. If you go to an Israeli hospital today, you'll find that 24% of the doctors are Arab. If you go to a pharmacy, 55% of the pharmacists are Arab. 50% fifty percent of the taxi drivers 50 percent of the bus drivers and 50 percent of the truck drivers and they're there today in their shifts in doing their work uh, the concept of, of cooperation and interdependency even at tense times uh, is still there there are many people that are trying to protect uh, that accumulated uh, success in in, in staying humans uh, which actually is exactly uh, what my uh, cousin uh, Awad uh, proved uh, he proved in his action when he refused to evacuate and stayed there in the scene of the party on the October 7th that uh, he wanted to protect his humanity uh, until his last breath he died with bandages in Band- his hands and- bandages he didn't have time to put them to stop the wounds of some of uh, the people that he was treating. And uh, if we just remember that uh, we we have a humanity that we need to tap into, uh, we have collegial relationship that we need to maintain, we have respect that we need to maintain, that uh, uh, wishing that the other doesn't exist uh, is not an option. The, the other is here to stay and we need to find, the proper mechanisms of working together. Now, on person-to-person level, I think it's easy to assume that it works. We need the governments to follow. And if they don't follow, we need your governments to tell them to follow this direction.
0: Mohammed Darashi, thank you so very much. Um, Mikhail Sela, Um, I'm sorry that we weren't able to have her for the end of this conversation, um, but I'm so enormously grateful for the work that the two of you are doing and that you have taken the time to share your stories with our audience. Thank you so much. And please, please, please be safe.
2: Thank you very much, Linda, for having us. And thanks to your listeners also for giving us the time.
0: Okay, uh, Michal, I'm so happy to see you again. It's been a few days since we did our first recording and uh, real life got in the way there for a second, huh? But you're okay and that's the, the main thing. Your family, yeah, everybody's good.
1: Great. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Yes, so I just wanted to continue the conversation that we were having. Um, and one of the things that that we were talking about, I think I had just asked uh, Muhammad the question basically what is it that you want the world to know those of us who are not living your existence that don't have to deal with sirens going off you know every few days and going to a safe room and just what it's like to 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 live in your shoes right now what is it that you think is important for the rest of the world to know
1: um i think first of all to know that reality is really complex And that people are more than their national identity. So in a national group, you have all kinds of opinions. You have all kinds of people. Some of them are fighting for years for for peace and understanding. Um, And nobody, nobody, like no, not a single soul on this earth deserves to be murdered or raped or being kidnapped or being bombed and killed because of their leaders, or because of the people who are controlling their territory, um and I feel i i I can say from like I, I studied abroad, okay, I studied in Oxford um in the u k, and I see how my class um is dealing with it. And the, the, the kind of things that are allowing themselves to say without ever experiencing a situation of war or like if being afraid for the lives of your kids. Um, and I feel that people should, if you're not really, really engaged with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, just stay human and say that every, lo- like every, every life matter, right? Um, and every kid matter. And it's okay just to say that, but do not engage with things that you just know nothing about.
0: I'm so glad you made that point. Um, you know, social media is, is a brutal place to be um, in many situations, and particularly in this one, if you, you know, if you do choose to engage. I have not engaged in, on social media at all when it comes to this topic of this war. Um, and I gave a lot of thought to the podcast and really wanting to have a conversation that is centered on how we would, how we look at this as a human issue and look at it from, from that standpoint of trying to find some commonality. And that's why when I found out about Givat Haviva and the work that you're doing, I thought, okay. That's how I can talk about this. Um, Because the last thing I want to do is to invite any sort of extreme um, points of view. And, you know, people feel like they have to take sides. And I love that you said, you know, be on the side of humanity, be on the side of being human, be on the side of solutions. Um, And don't just knee jerk react to things that you know nothing about. Um, and therefore are causing more harm and more pain to those who are experiencing it. So thank you for offering that. Um, the other question that I that I had that I also asked Muhammad was to talk about what you have learned in the work that you do with the Arab community in Israel in bringing people together about how to have the difficult conversations no matter what the topic might be, what can you share with our audience?
1: Um, so I actually heard what Muhammad, what Muhammad answered uh, and I agree with him. I, I will also add that you need a lot of patience and you need to remember who are you talking to. So I can even share something from, you know, how we at Give Achieve a Cope within our team, not even like, you know, having a, a difficult conversation with other people in other communities, but among ourselves, we had to also deal with that. And it wasn't easy. Like, I, I don't think it's very honest to say, yeah, we live in this beautiful harmony and everything is okay it, within the Arab and Jewish team of Givat Khaliva. It's not, it's a lot of work and we're working on it. But I think that the first thing we need to remember is that if you are talking to someone that that is your friend in like in normal days and suddenly you have this extreme situation or a very, very hard, difficult um and difficult uh, conversation, you need to remember that the things that he or she are saying right now are still being said by them, so you know them, so if they say something that really you know pushes you or 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 you you like feel you need to react in a very extreme way to what they're saying, just you need to take a breath and like to breathe and and just understand that okay it's still them, they still love you, they still see you, they still understand you but maybe they didn't say it the way they should say it or maybe you know maybe they are in a very difficult situation but you need to see the person not only the words that are saying right we are a whole per- we, are, we are all whole persons like people and we sorry for my english it's very late <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. we, are, we, are, we are we are whole people and 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 we remain ourselves even when we're traumatized OK, and it's very important to remember that when you're talking to your friends or colleagues.
0: And, and that speaks to the importance of getting to know the other, which is a, a, the whole crux of the work that that you do at Kivat Haviva is, you know, bringing Arabs and, and Jews together who, in many cases, before they have entered your program, have never interacted before. And so it's really it's, you know, the saying goes, it's really hard to hate up close when you get to know someone, it's much more difficult to look at them as the other. So I, I love that that you that you made that point. Um, and so um, as we are having this conversation today, uh, since our last conversation of a few days ago, there is a glimmer of hope that some of the hostages, fifty, will be released. We're waiting for that to happen.
1: We'll now supposed to start
0: tomorrow. Yes. Yes. So with that as a backdrop and with all of this as a backdrop, I want to know, how are you as a human right now? How are you doing? How are you even coping with all of the emotional roller coaster of what is happening in your country?
1: Um, I think I'm I'm very lucky because I can cope through my work. Right. I can cope with my Arab and Jewish team, with my Arab friends. I can I can cope because I can understand that although I don't feel it right now, I know <laughs> that there is some hope. However, I th- I feel that I have never been that afraid in my life, especially as a mom and as a woman. Like I'm terrified from the fact that Sexual violence is now part of the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because it wasn't really a part of our everyday lives. Um,
0: you have girls?
1: Yes. Two. How, how old are they? So uh, 18 months and four years old. Oh my and goodness. you have like four years old girls now in captivity in Gaza and they look... Exactly like my daughter. So it's like, it's just um, a kind of fear that you can't really cope with as a woman, especially in Israel, when it's like, our saying is like, if you have a girl, then, you know, in a way it's safer because they're not going to fight in the army. Although they can now also women fight in the army, but usually they tend to do it less. Um, And now I'm like... Okay maybe it's very dangerous to be a woman uh, in Israel um and maybe we just never thought that that can happen like i i admit it i didn't think these kind of atrocities can happen even by Hamas it wasn't in our you know in in our you know different the possibilities that we imagined for mm-hmm. ourselves mm-hmm. um and i think this fear is going to Unfortunately, be with us for at least few generations, which is horrible because the amount of of suffering and the amount of um chaos that um we now have in our own society is horrible and also I think it everything goes with a lot of anger towards our leadership and our government and the fact that people were not protected by what we used to call the strongest army in the Middle East or in the world, I don't know. Uh, People were not protected within the the legitimate borders of Israel, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but they are protected in what we see as the not very legitimate parts of Israel, Mm -hmm. the settlements. And I think that that's going to take us many, many years to, to heal from that anger.
0: One of the things that Muhammad said um, is, and you have alluded to this as well, that the the, the leadership is not up to creating peace, that this is going to have to come from the bottom up as opposed to the top down. Um, And that's the approach that Givat Haviva is taking. You are literally doing this human to human, one interaction at a time. That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast, human to human, one interaction at a time. Um, I guess you know, my I guess I'm trying to just ask, get you to to offer us some final words of hope to get to where we want to go. Um, I, I love the the terminology of uh, something else that he said, which is that we're seeking pieces of peace. You know, it's like one little piece at a time to get to a broader. Peace. What would you like to leave us with?
1: I think that in a way, doing like going from bottom up uh, is understanding that something is not working from the top right now. And it's, it doesn't mean that we don't believe in like structural change because structural change is really, really important. It's the only way to actually change, you know, change the way we live. But because we know how democracy works and it's still, we are still living in a democracy. Thanks God. Um, we, the people are going to change this region. And I know it will happen because we all want to live and we all want our kids to live. Um, and we all understand that the horrible leadership that we have um, and also the Horrible, terrible, terrorizing leadership that people in Gaza have um, will not survive forever. Um, And I think that in Israel, of course, it's easier because we can vote. And I think that even if we'll talk in a year or 18 months from now, the situation will be different because democracy is also about, about bottom up and not only about top down. Um, that's what's beautiful ar- about it. And if you look at Israel right now, Israel is being managed by the people of Israel, not by the government. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see them. We almost don't see them on, gra- on ground as citizens. We don't feel them. Uh, you know, there are no ministers in funerals. Um, they don't come and meet the people uh, that are being hosted in Givat Chaviva or in the hotels that that are, you know, refugees within their own country. They don't. But we have each other. And I think we're proving that this country is more than its
0: leadership. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to end our conversation. Um, Mikhail, I cannot thank you enough for making the time to have this conversation. And again, I'm so glad that you are safe. I plan to stay in touch with you. And I, you know, I'm I'm getting your newsletters now. I feel like I'm part of your community and I, I want to continue to help you spread the word about this just massively important work that you are doing and please know that you have a friend in me and um and I'll do everything that I can to to support you and Mohammed and Givat Habiba. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much Linda. It means a lot. Thank you.
0: I am enormously grateful to Michal Sela and Mohammed Daraushi, not only for sharing their stories and perspective with all of us, but more important for the incredibly important work that they are doing on the ground in Israel. As they say, working from the bottom up, human to human, reminding us of our common humanity. To learn more about Givat Haviva and support their work, just go to the show notes at ourvoicesmatterpodcast.com. And if this conversation resonated with you, and I hope it did, please share with your friends and invite them to subscribe and join the Our Voices Matter community. Thanks so much, everybody. Be safe. Be kind. I'll see you next time.